every one of you watching this screen, look out. Because soon, very soon, the most horrifying monster menace ever conceived will be oozing into this theater. See all those people screaming out of the field. I think those guys thought it would be funny to play that because that's how people react when you see I walk up here instead of Wayne. <laughs> no, no, seriously, really, many of you, I'm sure, feel like this right now. You're ready to run screaming from wherever you are each time you hear another news story or see a social media post. It feels a bit like we're in a monster movie right now, doesn't it? The anxiety level in the world seems as if it's at an all-time high. Here in the U.S., we have our own share of serious issues, as if a giant creature has invaded our shores and is systematically dismantling our country. I've heard so many people say things like, these are unprecedented times, or this is such a unique circumstance. There's civil unrest leading to violent demonstrations and rioting. We're dealing with a pandemic. History is being revised, monuments destroyed, truth is suppressed. Support for a strong military as a deterrent to war and a bridge to peace is waning. The political battle, especially right now, is heating up and leadership from all parties are increasingly seeking to rely on the power and resources of government to solve problems of the everyman, of each private individual. This leads to lessening personal responsibility. And the rhetoric between the two parties is increasingly hostile. Seems as if there's a new conspiracy du jour every day circulating through social media, right? I'm sure many of you have had conversations about this. It's chaos, conspiracy, and conflict. It's a pervasive theme each and every day on the news and social media, even just talking with your friends if you're trying to avoid the news and social media. It is consuming our public consciousness. So, question, is this unprecedented? Is it really unique? Not so fast, 2020. You're not so unique. This is not the first time that citizens of a powerful, influential society have experienced such massive upheaval. All you have to do is look back at the late 4th, early 5th centuries, and you'll find an interesting correlation. Some of you probably figured it out already. The fall of the Roman Empire. Arguably the most powerful empire the earth has ever seen. And you know what ushered in their downfall? Yep, you got it. Civil unrest, disease, revisionist history, weakening military, increasingly centralized bureaucratic, yet polarizing leadership, and disturbing conspiracies. But, okay, before you start thinking, um, he's heading down the road to the whole America is the modern Roman Empire, and in a parallel fashion, we're experiencing the fall of America. Put the brakes on that. It's not where I'm going. See, no matter where or when chaos, conspiracy, and conflict arises, those who follow the Lord God should have a unique perspective on things. Perhaps one of the most influential theologians in history, Augustine, in his famous work, City of God, said this. 
He said, so it falls out that in this world, in evil days like these, the church walks onward like a wayfarer, stricken by the world's hostility, but comforted by the mercy of God. Nor does this state of affairs date only from the days of Christ and his apostles' presence on earth. It was never any different from the days when the first just man, Abel, was slain by his ungodly brother. So shall it be until this world is no more. Augustine was contemporary to what was happening in Rome in the early 5th century. It's when he wrote City of God. Through all of the chaos, the conspiracies, the conflict, the church walks onward. Now, a bit later, we're going to get into what does that mean? What does that look like? How does the church, you and I, walk onward? What's our mission? Spoiler alert, it doesn't change according to circumstance. So, big question with an almost obvious answer. Is there one great evil manipulating and orchestrating the things of this world? Uh, yes. Hello, McFly. Some of you get that. But it may not be what you have a tendency to think it is. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Now, if that looked like this, it would be obvious, right? We would know, the world would know, Hollywood would know, not sure they'd care. But we could see evil and call it evil. However, we may not see the powers in this dark world, but we can see its effects, right? Incidentally, this is not a reflection of evil. It's an album cover of one of my favorite bands. <laughs> if you are a believer in Christ, a follower of Jesus, consider yourself a child of the creator, God of the universe, the filter with which you view society, culture, and yes, politics, should cause you to transcend worldly concerns and not be blinded or deceived by the chaos, conspiracy, and conflict by which the world is defined today. It's called worldview. And how you understand your worldview and therefore respond to the world around you matters. In his excellent book titled Deadly Detours, which I'm going to be quoting a lot today, Bob Briner makes a powerful observation about our attempt to influence deeper, spiritually driven realities of life through politics. He says to think that we can change the course of history through politics is folly. To think that we can change the hearts of men by anything other than Christ is blasphemy. And Paul is so clear about the reality of spiritual blindness in this world. In 2 Corinthians 4, Paul's writing to the church at Corinth says, If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from people who are perishing. Satan, who is the god of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. Of course, unbelievers who are blinded to the good news are going to live in fear and uncertainty. Straining to find peace of mind by manipulating a system that we in the flesh are incapable of manipulating. Again, is there one great evil manipulating and orchestrating the things of this world? Yes. Should Christ followers live in fear and uncertainty? No. I'm going to say that again. 
Should Christ followers live in fear and uncertainty? No. Who do we serve? In whom do we trust? The God of the universe who created all of it. Now, possibly my favorite book of the Bible is Job. Now, without going into the whole story, which many of you I hope are familiar with, and if you're not, please read Job. Take a little time to study it. It's truly wonderful. Very encouraging, especially during this time. So real quick, Job has these three friends who, they're not, they're not really idiots, but they're acting like idiots. And one friend, though, who's kind of sharp, because he stays above the temporal arguments that make up basically the first half of the book in the discourse. And this friend, whose name is Elihu, by the way, he recognizes the transcendence of what is happening around them. So when he addresses Job, he has this to say. He says, look. God shows himself exalted by his power. Who is a teacher like him? Who has appointed his way for him and who has declared you have done wrong? Remember that you should praise his work, which people have sung about. All mankind has seen it. People have looked at it from a distance. Yes, God is exalted beyond our knowledge. The number of his years cannot be counted, for he makes water droplets evaporate. They distill the rain into its mist, which the clouds pour out and shower abundantly on mankind. Can anyone understand how the clouds spread out or how the thunder roars from God's pavilion? See how he spreads his lightning around him and covers the depths of the sea. And Job himself, having been shown that whatever the circumstances, God's sovereignty is the ultimate authority over all, period, no exceptions. He simply states this. I know that you can do anything and no plan of yours can be thwarted. Do you think God can be surprised by anything occurring in the world today? I sure hope not. See, he's not only got the whole world in his hands, he has the whole of creation in his hands. The universe, that includes you and me. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will, oh my laser's out, will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Not might, will. This I declare about the Lord, the psalmist says, He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God and I trust Him. When we don't trust in the Lord and His sovereignty, we risk living in fear. And we all know, as Yoda so succinctly put it, fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. Great theology, and he didn't even know it. But let's look at God's word and what it has to say to quell our fears and sustain our walk. Tell you what, let's do this. Let's see if you can do better than the first hour. Let's read Psalm 23 together, loud and proud, okay? Ready? Here we go. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. 
You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Forever. See, when we understand who it is that sits on the throne and who we belong to, we should be assured. We should be assured. What does that mean? It means... We should be confident, level-headed, cool, collected, composed, unfazed, relaxed. Laid back, man. Chill. And we should not, no, must not be doubtful, nervous, you know, what a steady diet of social media does to you. It also means, and I find this interesting, we are protected against discontinuance or change. Very interesting. We are protected against discontinuance or change. We are certain, sure, secure, solid. We are not uncertain, and we are careful when and if we watch the news. Now, Hebrews 11 is appropriately known as like the faith chapter, right? Why? Well, we're going to take a look at it. We're not going to read the whole chapter, uh, it's kind of an overview, but there's some great nuggets in here. It begins with this. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Now, who are the ancients? We don't have time to read the entire chapter and, and, and do an, an, a detailed hermeneutic, basically a fancy word for Bible study. But we can understand that there are a whole lot of people the author of Hebrews refers to when discussing this idea of faith, hope, and assurance. Numerous heroes of the Bible are listed, well, as well as descriptions of heroes of the faith, old and new, and some of the things that they experienced. There's something every one of them had in common that we also get from the text. They had a longing for a better country, a heavenly one. And the world was not worthy of them. Can the same be said of us? You see, we too are not of this world. We are not of this world. Jesus was crystal clear on this point. When he was questioned by Pilate, Jesus plainly stated, my kingdom is not of this world, he said. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. I liked this quote from Briner's book so much I had to put it in your bulletin. He said it so well. He says, people, really referring to believers here, he says, people are so caught up in the cares, causes, concerns, and issues of the here and now that the real reason Jesus came to establish a kingdom not of this world escapes them. It is extremely difficult to keep the things of time and space from completely overwhelming, from completely crowding out the things of eternity. Christians must do everything possible to face life here in light of eternity. We need to be reminded over and over as often as possible about his constant emphasis on the kingdom of God and the fact that it is not of this world. Now, not this kind of not of this world. We're not extraterrestrials or space travelers or alien spawn, as cool as that might be. So what kind of alien are we? 
We are the kind of alien that is belonging or relating to another person, place, or thing. Strange. We're strange. And that's okay. I'm used to being called strange. Also, relating, belonging, or owing allegiance to another country or government. Foreign. Okay, strange and foreign. So when people call you strange because of your faith, say thank you. And when they say, yeah, you're strange, you're a bit foreign to me, say thank you. See, Jesus said this too. He said, if the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Let's look at one of the significant prayers of Jesus from John 17. Jesus is praying. He says, I have given them, the disciples, he's praying specifically for the disciples here. He says, I've given them your word. And the world hates them because they do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. Now, as I said here, Jesus is specifically praying for his disciples. So let's pay attention to context, which is extremely important, because he goes on, though, to say this. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's you and me. I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. Now, in the Bible Knowledge Commentary, Edwin Bloom writes this. He says, they were in danger because the satanic world system hated them. It hated them because they are not a part of it. Just as Jesus did not belong to the satanic world system, so believers do not. They belong to the heavenly kingdom because of their new births. So believers are sent into the world on a mission by the Son to make the Father known. This point is so crystal clear, I actually had a hard time deciding which passages to use. There's more in your bulletin because as I was going through this, there's just so much. It seems as if every gospel, every epistle, all compasses point to one obvious fact. Our citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. Now, you've probably never heard of him. This guy, Vance Havner, was a preacher, an evangelist, and author in the early part of the 20th century. He stated something so succinctly and plainly. I love what he said. If you are a Christian, you are not a citizen of this world trying to get to heaven. You are a citizen of heaven making your way through this world. Well, let's let Peter chime in too. Why not, right? He's a pretty good guy. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. For the Lord's sake... For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king as head of state or the officials he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. 
It is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone and love the family of believers, fear God, and respect the king. So not only does he refer to us as temporary residents and foreigners, but again, looking at context, the rest of this passage that I just read, he's actually instructing us, how do you behave as guests in a foreign land? Basically, keep your head down and drive on. Now, the great Billy Graham puts it this way. He said, your greatest contribution to God's kingdom work and to defeating the enemy's efforts against this kingdom is to keep up your daily devotions, live a clean, honest, humble, spirit-filled life, Trust God to guard and protect you morally, physically, and spiritually, and openly witness for Jesus Christ. Don't be a pawn of the devil, but a servant of Christ. Okay, so I find that interesting, all right? If we're to follow up on this, how do we risk becoming a pawn of the devil? Well, obviously, Billy Graham felt this was possible, so, and he probably saw it many times. Perhaps how we conduct ourselves in the public forum is a clue to this. Billy Graham was so good at that. We could learn some lessons from him. Again, in Deadly Detours, Briner says this. He says, as our most visible Christian leaders pursue a political agenda, a number of things happen, almost all of which are bad. The first thing that happens is that the discourse between them and the world focuses on anything except Jesus and why he came. We should want dialogue that gives us the opportunity to graciously bring biblical truth to bear on current topics and that shows the relevance of Jesus to all of life. He goes on to say the moral majority and the religious right create more heat than light and more bitterness than sweet. So what is the central motivating factor when we pursue living as a citizen of this world to the fullest? What one thing motivates most? No, what one thing motivates all of us? It's pride. It's pride. In 1 John chapter 2, John's exhortation here is so relevant. He says, do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Now, C.S. Lewis, I think captures the tension that we have between what we desire for eternity and how that compares with our current temporal desires here. He said this in Mere Christianity. He says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. If that is so, I must take care on the one hand never to despise or to be unthankful for these earthly blessings, and on the other, never to mistake them for the something else of which they are only a kind of copy or echo or mirage. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that country and to help others do the same. 
So our mission, to help others do the same. What does that look like? Jesus said, no one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand. And it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. And Paul to the Philippians wrote this, Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. A while back, about a year and a half ago, I had the privilege of traveling to the beautiful Caribbean island of Bonaire for an extended stay. I was actually filling in for a pastor friend of mine who I've known for decades, and he reached out because he needed to come to the States for something and wanted somebody to take his church for a couple of weeks. He's got the dream job. This guy is also, not only is he an avid scuba diver, but he is an awesome underwater photographer. And the island of Bonaire is actually known, if there's any scuba divers out there, you already know what I'm talking about. It's known as one of the scuba capitals of the world. They have a coral reef that surrounds the island that's actually been protected since the 60s. They were way ahead of the time. All you have to do literally from anywhere on the island, you wade out, go down to whatever depth you want. It's for beginner divers and advanced. It's an amazing, beautiful place. Well, I happened to be there the one day of the month. I was fortunate enough, the one day of the month with, that is the spawning of the ostracods. Again, some of you that are divers are probably going, yes, I know what that is. It's amazing. What you do is, and by the way, it's my, also my very first night dive ever. Uh, what you do is you get, you go in the water, you, you know, swim a few hundred yards out, whatever, go down to about 50 feet or so. With your, you have a flashlight that helps, to, helps you to navigate. But once you get there, you click off that flashlight, and it's pitch darkness, complete darkness. I'm telling the story to my kids, and I'm like, they're like, no, not me. <laughs> uh, but then, all of a sudden, you start to see the thousands, no, millions of little tiny lights so bright. They just, they literally brighten up the area. And you move your hand, like you can wave your hand, and it's just, they're just everywhere. It's in this pitch darkness that's the only place you can see these bright lights. It's really incredible. It's extremely difficult to film or photograph this phenomenon, which is why this pic is not great. Uh, it's the best I could find. Anyway, it's, it's sort of what it's like. You know, I imagine us as believers, we should shine in such a way that people can't help but notice in the darkness how bright we are. And what is the source of our light? What is it that, that we have that produces that light in the world? It's new life. It's eternal life through Christ, having been reconciled with our creator. Paul, to the Corinthians again, says he died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view, which we all do. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. 
And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So all of this context is important to understand this next phrase. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. The immediate representative of God's message of reconciliation was Paul, whose ministry is shared by all who are in Christ. All believers should serve Christ as his ambassadors. Paul's appeal was not a perfunctory pronouncement, but an impassioned plea. So what exactly is an ambassador and how do we function as one? Most of you probably understand this. It's an accredited diplomat sent by a country as its official representative to a foreign country. It's an envoy, an emissary, a representative. A person who acts as a representative or promoter of a specified activity. An advocate, a champion, a promoter. This is going to be tough, so hang in there. Once again, from Deadly Detours, I'm going to read this. Nowhere in Scripture are we instructed to try to influence governmental policy or control political power. Like political ambassadors, we have our very specific orders. We are to be salt and light. We are to make disciples. We are to show Jesus high and lifted up. None of which has anything to do with controlling the White House or the State House. Too often, we observe Christians in the political or even in social realm, in activism, superseding the gospel with their particular agenda. It's win at all costs even if that cost is a solid Christian witness. Again, I mentioned this already. I think one reason Billy Graham's witness was so powerful is because of his attitude in transcending all of that. He said, I will be a friend to men of both parties, but I would never say that I was, even indicated that I was for one or the other. I am for God. I don't think there's any hope for the world except in God. Now, before you start throwing fruits and vegetables at me, because I know many of you are very active in politics and very concerned with the politics of today. I get that. Take a look at this quote as once again, Briner continues to elucidate our roles. He said, this does not mean that we should be anything less than caring, fully informed citizens. And as a political strategy, signing petitions or supporting a candidate is your what? Your right as an American citizen. It's your right. Just do not confuse it with your duty as a Christian. I'm going to read that again. It is your right as an American citizen. Just do not confuse it with your duty as a Christian. When considering our duty as a Christian, uh, I, like to, I like Augustine's thoughts on this as well. He said, for no wisdom is true wisdom if it does not direct all its prudence, fortitude, temperance, and justice towards that final state where God shall be all in all in an assured, there's that word again, in an assured eternity and perfect peace. All its prudence, fortitude, temperance, and justice so singularly focused, so one priority toward assured eternity with God and perfect peace. How does this happen? How? Are you ready? I know some of you theologians and Bible scholars out there, and there's plenty of you at this church, are sitting there thinking, when are you going to get to this? 
Matthew 28. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Charles Spurgeon, great theologian and teacher, said something that I think is so poignant, so accurate, just brilliant. We would do well to really consider these words. He said, the Bible is not the light of the world. It is the light of the church. But the world does not read the Bible. The world reads Christians. You are the light of the world. We are the ostracods of the depths of darkness in this world. We need to stop being barracudas. Saw plenty of those too. Though we are aliens and foreigners, we must be assured, have that assurance that God is on the throne and his will cannot be thwarted. Cannot. Oh, and we, as ambassadors of Christ, have the privilege to be a part of his plan for this world. So this past summer, our college group here at FBC called Element had a great time studying together. We did some wonderful studies, um, some student-led, including this book that I've been quoting from. Now, as we were wrestling with current events in light of some of these uh, issues and how we should respond in light of scriptural truth, I made a halfway kidding comment that I said, when such times arise, the last thing you want to do is turn to the book of Revelation and try to figure it all out, matching events with symbols, prophecy, and symbolism with reality. I've already known too many people who try that and become more confused and anxious than ever. So they got a good laugh when the very next time we were together at the end of my devotion, I said, now let's turn to the book of Revelation. It's a true story. And here's what we read together. Revelation 19. Then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd or the roar of mighty ocean waves or the crash of loud thunder. That loud thunder is you and me. So listen, let's read this next part together. La read it loud. Are you ready? Be the crash of loud thunder. Praise the Lord for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and let us give honor to him. These words should ring in our ears and in our minds, providing comfort in times such as these, and also should give us a new energy to recognize and respond to the mission at hand. Billy Graham put it so well when he said this. I just love this. He said, I've read the last page of the Bible. It's all going to turn out all right. Soon he will be victorious and we will be where we belong. Now, if you would stand, please, and join these guys in singing this song. And if you don't already know it, you'll learn it pretty quickly. Here. 
Listen, before we leave today, there's two things I want to mention. First of all, if you're here today with us or somehow you found us online and you have no idea what I'm talking about, what, is, what does that mean? This is not our home. You've never heard the truth of the gospel that Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead, then please find someone with a name badge. We got lots of them running around, or me, uh, and, and come up and just say, hey, honestly, I don't, I don't think I get this. Will you share more with me? We would love to do that graciously. Let's pray together, and we'll be dismissed. Lord, we thank you for the assurance that we have that you are sitting on the throne and that you are sovereign over all. And Lord, I pray for everyone here that they might live in that reality, free from fear. I pray that we might embrace the fact that we are alien to this world, but that you have sent us here on a mission. And may we honor you as ambassadors of God's word, of your son, and of the truth. As we go from here, Lord, may our words and our deeds bring you all of the honor and all of the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.